out, you can be opening your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. And if you're using the Bible provided there in the pew, that's page 1146. We're going to go through chapter 4, but you won't have to turn the page. You'll just skip over to the next page. But you can be turning there. Um, the, the very first song we sang, it was a new song, so um, I, that was the first time I sang it as well, but, uh, or even heard it, but uh, it, was, it was so good. It's about my boast is in Jesus. That's really what this text is about today. We're in the series on, uh, about the power of God that is made perfect in our weakness. And so today we're looking at the power of the glory of God in our life, because I think each of us would understand that we don't have glory of ourselves. Our, our glory is not a great glory, but God's glory is given to us. Um, and, and so we're going to look at what that, what that can mean for us. Um, and uh, just by, by kind of a way of illustration, um, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid and you, you might have got a new bike. Did anybody get a new bike when they were a kid? A bunch of you. Okay, that, that's really neat. I, I remember I asked for a new bike. It was when 10 Speeds first came out. I'm older. Some of you younger guys don't know. Guys my age and up, you, you get it. And uh, I wanted a 10 Speed, but my parents couldn't afford it because they were super expensive because they just kind of came out. Uh, and at least in my mind, it was, they popped up out of nowhere. And, uh, but my cousin was a policeman, so my Mom asked him, do you have any impounded bikes you could get for sure? So I got a three-speed, which I was very happy to have, and I rode for a long time. But you know, when you get that new thing, it's so, it's so cool, it's so nice, it's so wonderful. And then after a while, you get used to it. And then after a while, you don't use it so much, you don't look at it. And then after a while, it's dusty and it's dirty. And then you sell it on Facebook web, you know, marketplace, right? Because it's not that great. The glory faded because it, it got old. And this, that, that's sort of what Paul wants to use today to help us understand what Christ has really done for us. So I'm going to, this is a kind of a long passage. I'm going to read it and, and please try to follow along with me in your Bible while I do. I'm going to go through, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 7. I'm going to go through chapter 4 and verse 4. I'm gonna, you can remain in your seat. Um, I know that you will be uh, prayerfully listening, and I mean that you can pray while you're listening, but beginning of verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Notice that phrase. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it. In glory, sorry, must far exceed it. That pop got my attention, sorry. The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Verse 10, indeed in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will that which is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who'd put a veil over his face so that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. 
But when, the one, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now if the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, remember chapter designations, we, men put that in later. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me? Father, we come into a realm that we cannot see right now. We walk into your throne room and we ask for your help. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. We ask that you give us grace to understand, grace to apply it in our lives. Lord, we ask you to bind our enemy in the authority in the name of Jesus. We ask for your protection in this place so that every believer can hear your word and be encouraged. And every unbeliever might hear the truth and repent and turn to you. And Lord, we thank you for your protection. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got a, a statement. I, is it me or is it the pack? It might be both. All right. We had to do this last week, too. Oh, you think that's it? I'm not getting fresh. Yeah. All right. Good. All right. So, anyway, uh, there's a statement I hope you can take home with you today. There it is. Uh, wow. Did, I thought I'd change that. Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. God has given us a covenant where his glory does not fade but grows throughout eternity. I want you to catch that. That phrase was smaller on my paper. God has given us a covenant, the new covenant, where his glory does not fade, but it grows throughout eternity. So I, I want you to see this clearly. The first song we sang was all about this, about boasting in Christ and glory in Christ. Uh, look there at the very first verses we read, verses 7 through 11. You see, the glory of the old covenant was a temporary glory, and I, I want to explain why that is. Um, first of all, it was written on the tablets, the Ten Commandments, that's very obvious what Paul, to which Paul is alluding. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face. The, this, this ministry, he says, a ministry of death. Why would he call the Old Testament a ministry of death? I mean, isn't that God's word? Amen. I'm giving you a hint. Yeah, it is. It's God's word. Why would he call it a ministry of death? Because the old covenant was a list that showed God's perfection and God's holiness and what he expected of his people. But God has a problem with his people. They're people. And they're fallen people. And so we don't have the power to do what the old covenant says. This may be a shock to some of you, but there are two ways to heaven. One way is be absolutely perfect. 
The second one is to repent and trust Jesus. And that's it. That's it. You, it, because there's only one perfect man who ever lived, and that was Jesus Christ, right? And so, that's how he got to go. But we have to trust what he did for us on a cross so that we can go. And that old covenant didn't have the power to save us. It only had the power to condemn us. Paul said that. He said it was a taskmaster that brought me to Christ. It was what kept showing me my need for Jesus Christ. Because if I can do it myself, I don't need God, right? That's what Ephesians 2 tells us about. That salvation's uh, by grace through faith. And even that's not of yourself. That's a gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Because we're created for good works in Christ. And so, this is the best way I've ever heard it explained. This is kind of old. And if you heard it before, that's okay. You can just say amen. But if not, the Old Testament... I've got, I hurt my knee about five months ago, and I've gone to a doctor, went last week, and you know what they did? They took an x-ray. Now, that x-ray was so bad because it's in the soft tissue, they couldn't even see if there's a problem. So, according to that x-ray, I'm pretty much okay. I mean, they see the arthritis and stuff, but pretty much okay. But if they could see it on that x-ray, guess what? They could say, yeah, you got a problem. Your knee's messed up. Well, what do I do about it? Well, I don't know. I'm just telling you, your knee's messed up. That's the Old Testament. You know, what, what, what do we do? I'm a sinner. What do I do? <laughs> Look, good, have good luck, brother. I don't know. But God even gave him the answer in the Old Testament. What is it? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. See, I, I like to ask people, how do people in the Old Testament get saved? I like to ask because people like to ask me and I like to ask you before you can't, you can't ask me. And they got saved in the Old Testament just like they did in the New Testament, trusting God to take care of their sin. Just God hadn't paid the price yet so that we would have full knowledge of that. But if you believe God, if you followed God, then he winked at, the Bible says in the New Testament, he winked at your transgression until Jesus paid the price on the cross. So you weren't hopelessly lost in the Old Testament, but you were missing something, and we'll explain that. And the Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments and the Covenant did nothing to bring us to Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, well, not kind of, I'm very anti-legalistic. And by that I mean that there are people that think being a Christian means keeping a bunch of rules. Now, I understand there are rules. There, there's absolute truths in God's word that we shouldn't do. Like, I can't murder you. Right? Thankfully, yeah. Uh, I'm, I can't covet your possessions. I can't, uh, you know, I, I, I can't steal from you. I can't lie about you. There are a lot of things that the, the, the Ten Commandments, they stand. that we, These are the way we live, yet we all break those commandments. All of us have broken all those commandments. You say, no, I, I might have broken a couple. I didn't break all of them. Well, number one, yeah, you did. But number two, James says if you broke one, you broke them all because they stand together. So if you break one law, you broke all of them. So I know everybody in here has broken one because I, what I said earlier, we're people and we're fallen people and we can't keep them all. And so it brought death. But I also want you to notice, he says that that came with a glory. Well, wait a minute. How can something that brings death bring glory? Because it shows the perfection of God. And God's perfection is glorious. And so much so, you got to remember, if you, if you don't know this, Moses got to talk to God face to face. Now, what did God look like? Only one time did he see the physical 
type body of God. God, he said, when he was on the mountain, he said, hey, Lord, can I see you? He said, no, because if you see me, it'll kill you, but you can look at my back. So he stuck him in a, a crack in the rocks, and then he said, I'm going to put my hand in front of your eyes so you can't see, and then once I get past you, I'll move my hand, and then you can see my back. And so that's what he saw on the mountain. But then, how was God appearing to them as they're wandering through the desert? By a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? And God had showed Moses what the temple in heaven looked like. They built a tent that looked like that. In there's a place called the Holy of Holies. They built the Ark of the Covenant, which is this big golden box with two angels protecting it. That is present in heaven. The reality of that is in heaven. And when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he took his blood and put it, it's called the mercy seat, on that mercy seat. In the Old Testament, and as long as the Jewish people had a temple, once a year the high priest would go into that holy of holies with the blood of a perfect lamb and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and ask God to forgive the sins for one more year. Now, he had to tie bells around his robe because if he walked in there unworthily without confessing his sins and and making sure he was good with God, God just killed him. And so they tied a rope around his ankle and if the bells quit ringing, they pulled him out. That's just a fact. And so when they went, that's where men met, but not Moses. While they're in the wilderness, they would camp in a circle around that tabernacle and the cloud would stop. The cloud would be leading them, and all of a sudden the cloud would stop. They'd get the Holy of Holies built under that. Then they'd put up the tent, and the children of Israel camped in a big circle around that, the 12 tribes. Three up here, three here, three here, and three here. And then there was another tent that was Moses' tent of meeting. And when God wanted to talk to Moses, he lifted out of the tabernacle and went over and entered the tent of meeting. And that was the signal, Moses, I need to talk to you. And so when that happened, all the heads of the clans, the tribes, would come out and stand in front of their tent, and Moses would go to get a word from God to bring back to the people. And in fact, one time when some people were rebelling against Moses, he said, with my prophets, I speak in mysteries and and in, in darkness, but with my friend Moses, I talk face to face. And when Moses would be in God's presence, his face would begin to glow but here's what, would, and so when the people first saw it, they were terrified. We can't look at that. God's going to kill us if we look at his glory. But what Moses noticed is the glory would start fading when he got away. And so he put a veil over his face so the people couldn't see that the glory was fading. And Paul's going to use that as a metaphor in a minute. You heard me read it, so you already got an idea. But I, I want you to understand that. The Old Testament had glory, but the glory can't last because we are imperfect and could not contain that glory but look what he says in verses 10 and 11 indeed in this case what once has glory looks like it doesn't have any glory because of the glory that surpasses it what is the glory that surpassed the glory of God given us the definition of his perfection it's the ministry of uh he says the glory no because the glory surpasses verse 11 for if what was being brought to an end came with glory how much that which is permanent have glory. Here's what Paul just told you. The old, the old covenant is no more. It doesn't hold any water. Anybody living trying to keep the rules is going to hell. Because that's the old covenant. God gave us a different covenant. 
And we see that in, beginning in verse 12. Here's the glory of the new covenant. Since we have such a hope, since we have a hope that that covenant that killed us is gone, not like Moses, he says, who put a veil over his face so they might not gaze at the outcome of what was brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. He said that it, the, the Jewish people, their minds were hardened. He said, even to this day, and it still is true today, when the Old Testament is read to them, they still have that veil. They don't see what God was about. They don't see what God is, was, was trying to tell them. He says, when the law is read, when Moses is read, they still have that same veil covering their sight. But check out verse 16. But when the veil is removed, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, I don't know if you already have beat me to the point here. But that veil was physically removed. Not talking about the one over Moses' face. You remember what happened on the cross. You remember the last of the seven things that, well, next to the last thing Jesus said on the cross. The last thing he said is, Father, in thy hands I commend my spirit. But the next to the last thing he said was, it is finished. It was a market term. Said it meant paid in full to telestai in Greek. It meant paid in full. There was a debt to be paid. And it was owed to God himself. And Jesus came. He didn't pay off the devil. He paid off God. And God who was angry at our sin. His frown is now turned to a smile. Because his own son paid the price and when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, y'all remember what happened. There was a veil, we call it a veil, some people call it a curtain. But you read the description of the veil in the temple in the Old Testament, that thing weighed tons. It literally weighed, I'm not using that in a, in a metaphorical way, it literally weighed tons. It was animal skins and heavy cloth and it was packed together. And when Jesus died, that thick covering around the holy of holies tore from top to bottom so we could walk into the presence of God ourselves without a high priest because now the glory doesn't have to leave us I'll hint at that we'll come to it in just a second look at verse 16 but when one turns to the Lord the veil's removed now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Do you understand that when you become a believer in Christ, God baptizes you in the Holy Spirit? In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If you don't have the spirit of God, you're none of his. You're not, you don't belong to him. But if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, now then you know you're saved. So the Holy Spirit lives in us. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. It is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. It's not like Jesus did what he did by himself. The Bible says, even says, by the Spirit he offered himself on the cross. The Bible says that it was God's will that he go to the cross. The Trinity is involved in everything together because they all are of one mind and essence. But they're three persons. So the person that comes and lives with us, lives inside our lives in the life of the church, is the Holy Spirit. We, we don't have a sp specific personal name for him because God doesn't want us to blaspheme that name. says that's an unforgivable thing. But we do have his, his title. And so the Spirit comes and lives in us. And, and what Paul says here is... Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom from the penalty of the law. Because I still can't keep that law perfectly. Jesus came and he intensified the law. He said, 
Well, you don't think you committed adultery, but if you lusted after somebody, not your spouse, you did adultery in your heart. If you've hated your brother, you've committed murder. He elevated how serious this is, but then he paid the price so that we didn't have to pay for the sins that we committed. And look at verse 18. And so we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another, And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's what Paul is letting us know. When we spend time in God's Word, in God's presence, our very image is being changed from one glory to another. James, the half-brother of the Lord, put it this way in his book. When we gaze into the perfect law of liberty, we remember what manner of man we are, and we repent, we come closer to God because we get further away from our sinful-looking self. My question that I think you could probably answer now, but I'm going to put a fine point on it, is why did the Old Testament glory fade, but the New Testament glory grows more and more? It's a simple answer. The Spirit did not live in the people. They had to get into the presence, the physical presence of Almighty God for that glory to come on them. We live constantly In the presence of Almighty God because He lives in us. You want a burning bush experience? Go outside and look at a bush because God is with you while you're looking at that bush. You want another Pentecost? You've already had it. The Holy Spirit has already filled you, He's already baptized you, and He can fill you again and again. And so the glory doesn't fade from us because He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and He stays with us. Throughout our life. So now the glory doesn't have to fade. Because I hope you got this even finer point. It ain't your glory to start with. (laughs) It's his glory shining from us. Right? And so the glory. That's why we have to be weak for him to be strong. If I get up there and go. Yeah I got this thing handled man. I pray. I read my Bible. I wear the right clothes. I don't listen to the wrong music. I don't do this. I do that. And I don't do this. I don't. Now I'm bragging about me. And that's not what he wants. He wants me to go, I'm poor in spirit. I got nothing, got no way to get anything. I can't do anything. I need you, God. And he expects us, y'all remember that series, right? The Beatitudes. And when we get that, we get some humility. So we say, God, if you don't do this, it ain't gonna get done. I need you. I need you to live through me and with me constantly. Religion always fades. Christ is always growing as we give in in us. We are growing as he gives us more and more as we give up more and more so that he can come into our life. We have the freedom to view the face of God every day because the veil's torn and we can go in the presence of God at any moment. I mean, if we did this literally, none of us would be wearing any shoes right now. I know a preacher, he always took off his shoes before he preached. He preached in his socks. I'm like, your feet are still covered, but nobody wants to see ugly feet, right? So you, every piece of ground you stand on is holy ground because God is with you. You're never outside his presence. He's never not with you. I want you to catch here in chapter 4 that the glory of the new covenant is hidden by the enemy from people that are lost. See, I've already read it. In the very first two verses, he says, this glory is a ministry of unending glory, and it's ours by the mercy of God. He says, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Y'all know the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you did deserve. Grace is getting what you did not deserve. You got that? 
So since we have the grace of God, he gave us what we didn't deserve, which is salvation. It comes with mercy, which is we are not punished for our sin. Jesus was. Now, you may, spe- you may have some consequences in this life if you break God's law. But God will, has already forgiven you because of the grace of God. But we live in mercy. And so Paul is acutely aware of the mercy of God. He says in another place, I was a murderer. He murdered Christians. And God saved him. And now he's in heaven with those people. Paul refused to use underhanded ways or twisting scriptures. Look, look what he says here in chapter 4. He says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Friend, you don't have to look far in this world today to see so-called preachers twisting God's word for their own greed and glory. They're rampant. In fact, they're more rampant than the other kind because they need to get on TV and all those things to get your attention and get your money. But Paul said, no, we don't do that. And verse 3 says, but if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. If they don't see the gospel, it's because they're going to hell. They, they can't even understand it. I've heard lost people just, I can't believe that. I, I, I just can't understand. I don't believe it. Well, I know you don't. It takes an act of God. And look what it says in verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Who's the God of this world? It's our old enemy, the serpent, the, the dragon, the snake, Satan himself. And he's blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why Ephesians says, it's by grace through faith, and even that's not of yourself. God has to give you the faith to exercise the grace, to get the grace. And so, he comes along in verse 5, so we proclaim is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul, remembers writing to these people because there was a bunch of guys that got up and said, hey, we're, we're real prophets. Paul, man, we don't know about him. You need to listen to us and not him. And Paul is refuting that in this way. They understood that because they'd been listening to these people. He's like, we don't twist the scripture. We don't twist the Old Testament. We don't mess with that. We're telling you the truth and you know it. And you need to understand that you have to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who's the image of God because we're not proclaiming ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. He's the one. It's not Paul. It's not those false prophets. It's Christ. And then he says something kind of neat here. And ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. Notice that. I'm not Jesus' servant for your sake. I mean, I'm, I'm your servant for Jesus' sake. It's my job to bring you to the gospel. It's my job to teach you the gospel. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's a long declaration there, sort of. But it, it has everything in it. God shines in our heart to give light to the knowledge that you know the glory of God is with you. And later on in this book, he's going to talk about having this glory in a clay pot. That this body's like a clay pot and yet God lives in it. He's returning this theme over and over and over. In the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
And even believers who aren't legalistic become legalistic, don't we? Because we come up with man-made rules that we have to keep. And I'm not going to try to list them. But I'd encourage you to go home and read the, the chapters of Galatians. Six chapters. It won't take you too long. And in there he says, you foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? You started in faith. You think you're going to end in works? I don't care how long you're saved. It's still a matter of faith. It's still a matter of obedience to the revealed will of God in the scripture. And being sensitive to what he tells you and to obey his word. We, we do that. We don't obey to get salvation. We got salvation so we can obey his word. Because you can't do it without him. And that old, that old covenant which had glory because it comes straight from God. It fades in our life. Because it came with no power to keep it. But Jesus came and paid the penalty of our breaking the commandments. So that now we have his perfection and his righteousness living in us. And the power of God lives in us that we can live out what God has already put into us. That's why he says, work out your own salvation for it is God who's worked in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. God has shown his light in our hearts. Uh, I want you to think about some things this week. First of all, religion always fades. Christ never does. Religion always fades. Christ never fades. So many people define Christianity by what we do and don't do. Instead of a, a humble relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the power of his spirit. That when they realize they can't keep all the rules that have been made up, they throw it all out. The baby with the bathwater. It is a whole movement. It's called deconstruction. We told a bunch of kids, man, we made them evangelical fundamentalists. You got to look a certain way. You got to believe a certain way. You got to vote a certain way. You got to think this way and that way and the other thing and do this and do that. And when they realized that didn't work, they threw out Christ. And it wasn't his fault. A famous lost person said, I would have become a Christian if I hadn't met so many Christians. We need to live this way. With the glory of God in us and saying, Lord, I'm yours totally. And be immersed in his word so we know it. You see, he promised us back in Ezekiel, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to write my word in your heart. How did he write his word in his heart? Well, who inspired the word to be written? The Holy Spirit. Who lives in you? The Holy Spirit. I'm not saying not read your Bible because you've got to read it to know what he said. He, he's not just going to like quote the Bible to us all the time. But he will quote it if you've been reading it to you. And so secondly, behold the glory of Jesus Christ in the pages of Scripture. That's what I've already started saying. You want to see the glory of God get in here. Jesus said, search the Scriptures for in them you find eternal life. And these are they that talk about me. Remember what he just said in the passage I read? So even today when the old covenant is read, the Jews have a veil over their face. They don't see that God's going to send a Messiah so that that penalty of the law could be taken away so that they could live in a faith relationship with God himself. And this is, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is how we know the glory of God is in the scripture. And that's why we're encouraging you to read your Bible this year. And we even sold a special Bible kind of outline to help you out. 
You can still get one uh, if you need one. And, uh, and you say, well, it's kind of late in the year. It doesn't matter. Just read it. You, you don't be under law about that either. It's not, if you don't read your Bible, you're lost. No, just get into it. Read it. It would be great. Third thing is, pray for that unbeliever in your life and understand that the problem there is that, that, that Satan has blinded their eyes. You've got to pray that God would remove, get Satan out of the way so that they can see Jesus. Jesus. 